because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it. You are listening to I Saw It in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So, Ryan, how is it going this week, being that we just changed the clocks? Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that this is probably my least favorite week of the year in terms of just my mental stability is always thrown off uh, when we spring the clocks forward. Um, you know, gaining an hour, not as much of a problem for me. I don't like it, but I, I can handle that. But the springing forward and like changing so radically, like when it gets dark and when it gets light, it just, I don't know, it, it messes me up. Uh, for the whole week. I'm like not, you know, it, it takes a lot for me to be productive uh, this week. What about you? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't like it. You know, I always feel like it's stealing an hour away from me. And the fact that it happens on a weekend really irritates me. So I do think like daylight savings time is evil. But yeah, I always and I'm do... owed an extra hour. Oh, I was gonna say I'm owed an extra hour because there was one, there was one year where, um, I was traveling on that day to Europe where they don't change the clocks. Oh. Uh, or no, I guess in the fall. In, in the fall, so like, I missed the extra hour. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, like, that's when we fall back, which is always my favorite. I like when we fall back. I just think we should always keep falling back so that I can keep <laughs> gaining hours mm -hmm. to do like more experiments or reading or watching movies. But like when they take the hour, it really bothers me. And for a while, like the next couple of weeks, I'll just keep thinking like, oh, it's actually really three o'clock. Yeah, I was out um, running some errands and I'd forgotten to change the clock in my car. And I was like driving around. I was like, oh, it's like six o'clock. And then I was like in the store and I got a text message and I was like, how is it seven o'clock? What? How long have I been grocery shopping? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this is this is a tough week, but I'm glad that the vaccine supply hopefully will keep increasing. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to the weather being just a little bit warmer because I like the cold weather, but I'm ready to be able to sit outside and stuff. I agree. I, I'm very much, especially this year, looking forward to the warmer weather. Um, I just hope it doesn't jump right to like, you know, the sticky, like sweaty, humid type weather. Uh, I hope mm -hmm. we actually get a spring, but I am much looking forward to being able to like go outside and take a walk or ride my bike outside. Cause as you know, I've been just riding my bike inside. Uh, I have a stationary bike but I'd much rather be taking a ride out to the park. So hopefully pretty soon I can do that. Uh, but I guess even though despite daylight savings time, have you found an opportunity to watch any movies lately? And is there one that you want to share with us? Yeah. So uh, one of the things I've been trying to work on, uh, despite, as you know, uh, ordering more movies <laughs> to be delivered to my house on discs, uh, I have been trying to work through and watch all of the movies that I own but have not watched, um, starting with the stuff that is brand new to me, you know, that were blind buys, and then moving on to the stuff that were like, I bought the disc and I haven't revisited it because I like the movie in the theater or, you know, wherever I saw it. Um, so one of those is a film by uh, Olivier Assayas that is part of the Criterion Collection, uh, his movie from 1994. Uh, called Cold Water, which is also streaming on the Criterion channel, uh, as a lot of his movies are. And this is the oldest one of his that I've seen so far. So I discovered him when Clouds of Sils Maria came out with uh, Kristen Stewart and Juliette Binoche, thanks to my well-documented 
Twilight fandom, I was like, oh, a new Kristen Stewart movie. I need to see this. Um, <sighs> <laughs> well, uh, you're always finding these ways to like weave in the Twilight. Like, I really do feel like you're just trying to get me to watch these. And I'm going to keep holding out till you watch Matilda. Well, at some point, uh, Katie McBrown, who you co-host Best Friends Forever Pod, um, she and I will team up at some point and we'll get you to watch all five Twilight films. Um, so anyway, Cold Water. Uh, so this was, you know, I've seen a couple of his from Criterion. I picked this up during, you know, some Criterion sale in the recent past uh, because he directed it. I'd heard good things and I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's a cool movie in part because I really like when foreign films especially use like American music. Cause I think it actually sets up a really interesting, just like a, just like it's a different way into the movie. Um, so this has a lot of American music, especially uh, me and Bami Begee by uh, Janis Joplin. And, you know, there's a long section of this movie that is set at like a house party with a bunch of, you know, French youths um, all partying at night. They have a massive bonfire there's a lot of like awkward white people dancing to music, um, you know, and I think, you know, I, I one, ultimately I feel like the movie is just about existing and how difficult that can feel sometimes and how, you know, dancing and being social and connecting with other people um, helps, you know, it, it makes you feel like you're surviving in spite of everything else and you're doing it together. And um, it kind of reminded me of the small axe film uh, Mangrove. Right? Is it Mangrove? That is the house I party actually, one. Um, yeah, I actually haven't watched those yet, but I they are on my list to watch. Yeah, I think I've seen all but one of them. No, Mangrove is the first one. Uh, the the second film, anyway, is relatively short. I think it's a, a little longer than an hour. Um, and it is set at a house party. And it has this, the similar kind of vibe where, you know, for at least this part of cold water, you're like in observer mode. And Asias is doing a lot of handheld photography, sort of wandering around this party while like parts of the story unfold. But you're also just sort of sending, spending time with these people. And it just made me miss parties in a way that, um, you know, watching it while I haven't been able to see a lot of people that I enjoy spending time with in person uh, for the past year. So um, like I said, it's on Criterion Channel. He's become one of my favorite directors, and I look forward to watching more of his movies. Um, and it was nice to see him use, you know, his style has changed so much um, since 1994, but it was really cool to go back and, and see things that I like about his later movies that I've seen in his earlier work. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. And coincidentally, I'm actually, for my flick pick this week I also picked something on the Criterion channel so I recently caught the 1963 Joseph Losey film The Servant starring Dick Bogard, James Fox, Sarah Miles, and Wendy Craig and after watching this film I had one of those moments where I was so filled with excitement because I found yet another filmmaker's filmography that I really wanted to start digging into. And I don't know, like, have you caught any of Joseph's films before or no? I'm trying to, can you remind me what? Yeah. So I actually have only seen a few and it was kind of funny when I was looking at the filmography to see like, what do I want to watch next? And through like my little search, I found that he actually directed the boy with green hair, which I have seen, but he also did a remake of the noir film M and I'll be honest, the 1951 remake that he did, I, I have watched it and it was quite some time ago, but it did not intrigue me to like pursue his career in movies further at the time, because I just love the original from 1931 starring Peter Lorre. And it's also directed by one of my favorite filmmakers, Fritz Lang. So I found Lang's version to be far superior. So when I watched Losey's version, 
it just didn't do anything for me. So I never like pursued him further. So I was kind of shocked that he made The Servant as well, because it is such a superb film. So I don't know if you've seen the M remake. Uh, I've seen the original M, but not the remake. And according to my letterbox, I've not seen any films directed by Joseph Lazzi as of yet. Well, here's the perfect opportunity then, because they have quite a few of them right now on the Criterion channel. But The Servant is this twisted tale, and it's based on a 1948 novel. And the screenplay was penned by a Harold Pinter. And Harold and Joseph actually would end up collaborating on four films together. And The Servant was their first time working together. Uh, But I did see on the channel, you can currently watch The Accident, which is also one of their collaborations. So I definitely have that on my list to check out. Um, But essentially what the tale is of The Servant is Dick Bogard plays the servant named Barrett, and he's hired by like this wealthy playboy of sorts, Tony, played by James Fox. And the thing about this story is, I didn't really know anything about it going into it. And I think that is honestly the best way to watch this film because I'm going to leave you with this. Like you think you know what's going to happen in this movie, but it ends up going places that you just don't expect. And the film does get rather dark and it manages to make this statement about society and class And I just found the whole thing to be very interesting. Um, And I I liked that the story was surprising, you know, like it wasn't just this cookie cutter uh, movie, but also the black and white photography lends so well in this film. And it's one of those movies that like, I can't imagine if it was shot in color, how different I would feel about it, you know? Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. I would feel the same way because the black and white, it's somewhat of a character in this movie and the way that the camera moves around and what he's showing us. And then, of course, like the acting is also very superb. Like, you just got to watch it. (laughs) So hopefully I sold you on it. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward. Looking at his filmography, it's it's wild because he did everything from you know, kids movies to horror movies to noirs. And, you know, I I really appreciate when a director can successfully try really different styles of filmmaking. And that sounds super interesting. I think, um, you know, because it sounds like it's, it's more of a British noir. Well, and here's the funny thing. So he actually is American, Joseph Losey, but he got blacklisted during like the communist era in Hollywood. So essentially he ended up moving to England and then he started making movies there. So this movie was like, he received BAFTAs for it. Um, You know, technically it's, I guess an English film. Uh, But yeah, it's the other thing that was kind of interesting is sometimes I'll post on Twitter what I'm watching and someone had tweeted back to me saying that they were so excited I was watching this because they're like, be prepared. You're going to lose like two weeks of your life watching other films in his filmography. And to your point, when I was looking and browsing on Letterboxd, I was surprised about just the various types and genres that he's made. I I found it fascinating. Yeah, I feel like that's an undervalued skill with directors. Because I think, you know, we we talk about auteurs and people who are known for having like a really definitive style. But I think there is a lot to be said for the so-called like journeyman director that is able to like, you know, do a bunch of different things and do them pretty well. So I I definitely want to look up, uh, you know, check out more of his films and I'll I'll try to make sure I hit up uh, that one first. Cool. Right. So should we get to the question for the week? Uh, yeah, let's let's go into the mailbag. All right, here we go. Dear, I saw it in a movie. Isn't life just so mundane right now? I want to spice things up, but my latest tarot reading is coming up blank, and I think my crystal ball is on the fritz. What's a movie that will help me get my magic mojo back? 
help please, not so wicked witch. So I, of course, loved this question. Loved. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? Uh, as someone who apparently has more and more self-described witches in his life as time goes on, I also very much appreciated this question. <laughs> well, yeah. And as you know, I'm in the process of studying magic myself. I recently acquired this very large book um, called Mark Wilson's Complete Course in Magic. And I'm very excited to start my lessons in the world of illusion. And with that said, you know, there are a lot of movies out there about magic and magicians, you know, so I'm really excited to hear what you picked to answer this question. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I love stage magic. Uh, I have often been fascinated by it. I do not believe that I have the dexterity to do it um, successfully. I just don't think that I can move my hands that quickly and accurately uh, in order to, you know, convincingly do an illusion. Um, you know, I've not spent the requisite time practicing with cars to do fancy shuffling or whatever, uh, but I appreciate the craft that goes into it. Uh, that said, I did not pick a movie about stage magic for this. Uh, I picked a movie that it falls within the fairy tale fantasy genre, um, but I did so for a specific reason. So uh, the movie that I chose is Matthew Vaughn's uh, Stardust, which is from 2007. So it's a relatively recent movie. It's based on a, a book by Neil Gaiman that is like, it's not what I would call a comic or graphic novel, but it's like, it's an illustrated book for adults. Um, and so it's an original fairy tale about a kingdom that is over a magic wall from England. Uh, the ruler of the kingdom has seven sons that have all because he has because he has living sons, typically the tradition there, I guess, is that the sons all murder each other before their dad dies, and so that the survivor becomes the heir. Um, so out of his seven sons, only four of them are left at the beginning of the movie, um, and he's disappointed in them because there are four of them left, and he throws a magic ruby into the sky and says, whoever is able to retrieve it uh, will become my heir. Simultaneously, that ruby knocks a star out of the sky who falls to earth and is revealed to be a uh, like a human-looking woman, played by Claire Danes. Um, and there are a trio of witches, uh, the lead of which is played by Michelle Pfeiffer, and she wants to find the star and steal her, basically eat her heart and get uh, extend her life and make her look young and beautiful again. Oh my god, heart eating. Uh, Yes. And then the main storyline wow. is uh, this young boy, Tristan, who's played by Charlie Cox, who was Daredevil on Netflix. Um, so watching it this time, I was like, oh, yeah, like I actually have seen him in other things now. Um, he goes over the wall to retrieve the star uh, that he thinks is just going to be a, you know, lump of rock from space uh, to impress the stuck up girl that he's in love with in his tiny village called Wall, which is right on the border between these two worlds. So what I like about this, <laughs> and they have all sorts of adventures and everything sort of comes together, but I really like the way that the storylines weave back and forth. Um, that like the princes are killing each other. They're after, uh, you know, the gem, the witches are after the star. Uh, the kid is trying to bring, bring her back to his village. Like everybody has different goals and they're all getting in each other's ways and overlapping sometimes without realizing why they're even interacting together. Um, and the reason I picked it for this question is because this movie features many different kinds of magic, which I always really enjoyed. So it's not just that there's like spell casting, you know, where there's like magic words and a wand. Um, these witches, like there is some of that, that, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer has a magic ring and, you know, she's able to like do like Harry Potter style magic, I guess I would call it. Um, but this also has like stars are a magical thing that they, you know, literally look down on the earth and watch people. Uh, you have enchanted objects. So uh, he has like a lucky like glass flower uh, that actually protects him more than he realizes. Uh, you have magical chains 
that are unbreakable except by magic spell. You have um, haruspicy. I don't know how to pronounce that actually, but like reading of entrails, like the witches are trying to locate oh. something. So they take an animal out of a cage, slice it open, oh and my like God. pull out it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in order to divine what's going on. Um, you know, there's runes. So there's, sooth- there's a soothsayer and there's magical runes that are used. And like, you know, they throw the runes up in the air and they ask a question and the runes answer. Um, there's also, you know, your traditional sort of potions and poisons that come from natural plants and things. So that's what I really, really like about this movie is that even though it's a self-contained story, it feels like a really big world because you get to see a bunch of different parts of it. And again, like there's different magical things going on and different people use magic in different ways. No, this sounds like everything's going on. There's a lot. (laughs) Like I almost feel like if I watched it, I'd need to take notes. I mean, if you wanted, I I did take notes when I watched it this time, just to like make sure I didn't forget any like big forms of magic that are used. But I think that's what's so successful about the movie is that it really is like clearly communicated, easy to follow. It tells you exactly what you need to know, you know, when you need to know it to, to follow the story along. Um, and the way that it brings those different storylines together and separates them over the course of the film is really fun. Um, it's definitely influenced by Lord of the Rings in terms of its like look and the cinematography. It's even narrated by Ian McKellen uh, at the beginning. So like it's it's owes a debt to Lord of the Rings for you know this 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 movie adaptation. But okay. uh, you know I think that that's why I picked it for our listeners because of the different kinds of magic. So. You know, if our listener is, you know, not not having uh, a lot of luck with one kind of magic, you know, she mentioned tarot cards, she mentioned crystal balls, uh, you know, maybe look to runes, you know, maybe yeah. I wouldn't advocate for, you know, using entrails to divine things because we are trying to live in a more humane society. But, you know, I think I think trying to shake it up and find a different way to get at that magic might be just the thing that you need to get out of this funk. Yeah, or maybe some potions. Right. Yeah, I'm very interested nice, in the potions. A nice herbal tea. <laughs> yeah, so I just want to say I didn't mean to like say, oh, you need to discuss stage magic. It's just mm-hmm. what I'm interested in right now. And I do want to be clear to our listeners. I did not send in this question. I mean, I know some people (laughs) may think, you know, because I do have magic on the top of my mind, which made this question somewhat hard for me. I love the route that you went, you know, with it uh, because, and, and that's the thing I love about this show is that we always kind of interpret it in our own way. And I feel like we give, you know, different types of answers, which I hope is helpful. But before I share my ultimate pick with the listener, uh, I wanted to share like this magical, I'm going to call it like a magical listicle of sorts. And again, it's because it was difficult for me to narrow down to just one pick. And I feel like I don't want this person to get lost in the land of sorcery. So I kind of wanted to give them this guide, which I'm deeming kicks, flick picks for magic tips and tricks. And wow, I didn't mess that up. <laughs> All right. So that was great. You I'm did a not. Great job. Thank you. So I'm not going to go real deep dive into these picks. You know, I just want to kind of get them out there. But the obvious one that my mind, of course, thought of right away, number one, was the 2006 Christopher Nolan picture, The Prestige, which features two two magicians. And so there's double the trouble because there's double the illusions. And you really can't go wrong with the cast. It stars Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. And after an accident occurs, these two magicians become extremely competitive And they attempt to create the most superb and thrilling illusion. And they do this through sacrificing literally life and limb. And the movie just shows how far a magician is not only willing to go to keep their tricks safe, but to also just be 
the best. You know, they really just want to impress the audience. And as far as Christian Bale's character goes, Alfred Borden, he says at one point, secrets are my life. And that's because with The Magician, and it's something I'm learning in my course book, that you always want to keep your tricks safe. You never want to share like how you accomplish the illusion, but you also only want to do it once. So when someone's like, can you do that again? You just kindly say no. Because <laughs> you don't want people to like <laughs> figure it out. You want them to be mm -hmm. lost in just like the dazzle that you performed, the razzle-dazzle. Uh, right. The, the, the razzle-dazzle, the misdirection. Yes. Yeah. Which I feel is present in this movie, and I know you've seen it. Um, but they do a lot mm -hmm. of tricks where you're just like, ooh. But being an audience member, well, a viewer, I should say, of the film, you often get to see how they actually did it, which is cool. And also yeah, David and Bowie. I, I will just say. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say also David Bowie's in the movie and plays Tesla, which is probably the best Tesla rendition. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that Tesla biopic from last year yet, but I do love Bowie as Tesla. I just wanted to chime in and say that uh, I rewatched this last summer because uh, I was making sure I had gone back through all of the Nolans um, before Tenet. And so. Uh, I like this film more uh, on my most recent watch than I had when I first had seen it. Uh, and I do just want to say that, you know, in this particular film, at least, uh, Hugh Jackman is the greatest showman. Agreed. And we will not discuss the other film because it is bad. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my second pick, and you may not know this, but a while back in December of 2018, to be exact, Movie John printed an entire issue dedicated to magic, ghosts, and seance, seances, which is still currently available in our shop at moviejohn.com shop. But for that particular issue, I wrote about the movie Houdini from 1953, starring Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh. And this was a Technicolor flick, and honestly, not the greatest, but I only paid 50 cents for a VHS copy of it, so it was kind of worth it for me. Uh, but I must forewarn, you know, when I watched this movie, I was really hoping to learn about the art of stage magic and presence and performing, but it really is simply a biopic about Houdini, so there's a lot of, like, drama and romance, so... The reason I'm recommending it, though, is maybe our listener doesn't know a lot about Houdini. So, like, my gripe with the movie might be perfectly fine for them. And I just found, like, yeah, they're talking and spending a lot of time about married life, but I'd rather see them talk about illusions and seances. Because this is something, you know, I had actually read about Houdini, is he was very fascinated with seances, as am I. And apparently, like, that was something that he researched, especially towards, like, the end of his life. And so I don't know. I, I wanted to share that with our listener because I thought maybe they don't know a lot about Houdini. And he was one of the greatest escape artists of all time. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, I have not, but I, I want to purely because I enjoy both escape artists and Tony Curtis. Um so I, I really hope that I'm able to see this at some point in the future. I read finally uh, Cavalier and Clay, which is oh nice a book. Uh, yeah, it's it's a a novel about two Jewish kids in the 1930s who invent a superhero that is based on uh, their love of escape artistry and Houdini specifically, called the Escapist. Oh, cool. Yeah, and actually, just to continue talking about escape artists, that's my number three pick, which is a movie from 1982, and it's currently on HBO Max, if anybody wants to check it out, but it stars Griffin O'Neill, and yes, he is the son of Ryan O'Neill, I learned, and Raul Julia, and Griffin O'Neill plays Danny Masters, who is the son of a late magician, Harry Masters. So clearly in this story, there's some resemblance of like a Harry Houdini type. Uh, but 
essentially the kid Danny wants to be just like his dad. And he ends up after his dad passes away, shacking up with his aunt and uncle who are also performers of sort. Like his aunt is, she does like a mind reading act. So what I enjoyed about this movie is that you actually get to see Danny performing some of the tricks. And then of course there's Raul Julia, which always makes for a wild time. I've recently caught some more of his films and he just like plays wild characters. Um, In this, he plays a guy named Stu, who is the son of a corrupt mayor. And Stu is just extremely lazy and he has a run-in with Danny in a magic shop, which then he ends up later employing him to like crack safes and... (laughs) other shenanigans uh so it's pretty fun watch it's only like an hour and a half so it's definitely i found worth your time uh yeah hbo max i'm finding has a lot of like interesting titles yeah i would agree i just looked this movie up and one this has so much going on that i will have to watch this movie very soon because yes uh it's it's one of three directorial credits of uh Academy Award-winning cinematographer Caleb Deschanel. So it's like, oh that- yes, I forgot. Yes, my husband Ben had looked that up and was kind of like, oh, this was directed by a cinematographer. Uh, and not only does it have Raul Julia in it, but it also has Terry Gar, who I love, and Desi Arnaz. Um, <laughs> yes, and this is clearly like late in Desi's career, but he actually plays the corrupt mayor in the film. So he plays Raul Julia's dad. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Yep, I can see that. That makes sense. Yes. And then like Jackie Coogan is in it, who like, you know, he's, he's like most known for working with Chaplin. So like, there's a lot of interesting intersections uh, from the film world in this movie. And that alone yes. makes me want to watch it. I also think... I'm correct in saying this, but I believe it was produced by Francis Ford Coppola. Or he, like, uh, presented it. <laughs> I mean, that could... Yes, he Francis Ford Coppola is listed as a producer. Uh, that somehow only makes this thing make more sense. Yes. Because apparently the movie was, like, shelved for, like, two years. It was, like, shot in 1980, and then it didn't see the light till 1982. So... I had never heard of it before until I was like searching for some magic movies to recommend and then it popped up and then I was like, ooh, it's on HBO Max. So it all worked out. Um, Oh, yeah. And it it is American Zoetrope, which is Coppola's producing company. Um, So, you know, that's this all actually like it really all fits (laughs) together because this does feel like the kind of project that like a Coppola or a Lucas or a Spielberg would be like, oh, there's a bunch of people working on this, a bunch of people I like working on this movie. I want to make sure it gets made. Right. Yeah. And maybe they liked magic too, which actually I'm brings... i sure they do. Well, this <laughs> brings me to my fourth flick. And don't worry, I'm getting close to the end. I want to mention this, and this is actually a shorty, and it is called Orson Welles' Magic Show which can currently be found on YouTube with a quick Google search. And Ryan, I have no idea if you know this, but Orson Welles loved Matt Check. Like he was a huge fan of it. I did know that actually. Okay. Well, it's one of the things I do really like about and appreciate about Orson Welles. (laughs) Yeah. I, so I just recently like have fallen in love with him. Okay. I like have been reading books about him and watching all of his movies. Like he was such a weird character. And I I feel like to be uh, the kind of, like he reminds me of the way, like he, the way that he directs and thinks about movies reminds me of the way a magician would think. Like in in part, because I feel like he's kind of like, like he, he's a mischief maker. Yes. Yes, I would completely agree with that assessment, especially after reading a couple books and just like things he has said. And Ben and I actually at one point had gotten to like searching 
uh, on YouTube, like watching old talk shows that he was on. And mm. yeah, he just seemed completely wild. Uh, but anyway, the Orson Welles magic show was a TV broadcast in which you can actually see and observe him perform some of his tricks. And it is something to behold. Like I recommend after we are done recording, you need to watch this like tonight. And it's only like 27 minutes long. So like watch it before bed. But okay. it, it's pretty wild. And it's one of those things like sometimes I just love the internet because there's like these little weird kooky things that you can just Google and find. And I don't know how I would have seen this otherwise, you know, like it probably would have just gotten lost in the abyss, but mm -hmm. with a quick search, you can find Orson Welles doing magic and he has a cape, which, well, I mean, as, as one does. Yes. So my last pick on my list before I actually reveal the ultimate pick is I wanted to mention that you should look and watch out for The Marvelous and the Black Hole, which I caught this little gem at Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. And it tells the tale of a teen that's going through a lot. Like she lost her mom and her dad is clearly ready to move on. Like he has a new girlfriend they're talking about marriage and you know clearly the teen is just going through a lot of stuff also just being a teenager in general uh but she ends up running into a magician played by Rhea Perlman and these two are a bit of an odd couple to start but they end up becoming like two peas in a pod and I love that the story conveys this message that when life gets dark, sometimes like you just need a bit of magic. And that's what the character of Margot, played by Rhea Perlman, shows Sammy, played by Mia, Mia Setch, which I probably said that name wrong. But anyways, you really get to see sammy learn how to be a magician through the tips that margo's providing and like it's things like stage presence and attire and just being able to sell your illusion which that's where it all comes in like you have to have a fun nice demeanor which in the beginning this teen does not she's rude she's crass so that's something that margo like helps her work on um, but yeah, I just loved this. It was like a zany little flick and apparently it is getting distributed sometime in the summer. I don't know how, but obviously on moviejohn.com, we will totally keep you in the loop when we hear that it's coming out. So I don't know if you had heard anything about that movie, Ryan. Uh, just from you, but it certainly sounds like, uh, the, Get one of those movies that does play at Sundance and then pops up in the summer as like a summer indie, it, it does sound perfect for that. So I'm definitely yeah. looking forward to it. It's just like one of those feel good type movies and you can watch it and just be like, oh, that was nice. You know, like I didn't have to think mm -hmm. a ton. So yeah, definitely watch out for it. But my ultimate flick pick to help our listener, Not So Wicked Witch, is the Mad Magician from 1954, starring Vincent Price. And this is quite a gem of a film. Now, I've seen it now twice. And I feel like I definitely like it more than my husband, Ben. But that's to be expected. <laughs> I am all about these weird little like horror movies that like tend to have a runtime of like between 70 to 90 minutes like I just I love them but essentially Don Gallico who's played by Vincent Price he designs and develops illusions and tricks for magicians under the company name Illusions Incorporated which I love in these old movies how like whatever the person does like that's their company name because i watched this movie recently where the person made dolls and it was just called dolls incorporated 
That's great. Like, I, I like, really feel like Hollywood screenwriters back in the day did not know anything about business or insurance. And like, that's the plots of a lot, a lot of movies. It's just yes. like, you know, yeah. Like, oh, I have, I sell stationery. My shop will be called Paper. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, okay. But anyways, this company was signed over and owned by a Mr. Oramond, who is a basically like a Scrooge McDuck of sorts, like an evil capitalist. And when Don... Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's Time okay. out. Scrooge McDuck is not evil. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> he is all about his money and he doesn't want anybody touching it. Like he swims well, yeah. in money. Right. Look, and it's I'm like also saying... the only time when he's swimming in the money, it's the only time he's wearing pants, which is also weird. Like the well, ducks don't ducks wear pants. Ducks wearing pants in, in Disney is not a subject that we need to be getting on right now. I just want to say, if you want to call Ebenezer, Ebenezer, Scro- Ebenezer Scrooge evil, but Scrooge McDuck, fine. He's, he's, a, he's a solid guy. All right. Agree to disagree, but for the sake of <laughs> moving on, because we have a time crunch here. Ebenezer. Yes, moving on, moving on. yes Ebenezer. Is an, it's like Ebenezer, an evil capitalist. And when Don decides that he would like to take one of his latest illusions, which is this thrilling, absolutely thrilling buzzsaw, he, and he designed this thing on his own free time, okay? His employer decides, no, that is my illusion, Because even though you designed it on your own free time, you are not going to perform an independent stage act with it because you developed it in the studio that I own. And I just think that's terrible. (laughs) Like, if I was done, I would be angry too. Right. I don't, yeah, I can't speak to what Scrooge McDuck's policy on that would be, but I know that is a common business practice of anything you develop that's related to your work is now property of the company. And I agree. It sucks. Yeah. It's really crappy because like I said, he made it on his own time and he was hoping to kind of launch his own stage magician career. And the owner of the company like decided to tell him that he wasn't allowed to do this in midst of while he was going to perform the illusion. So it was like completely embarrassing. To Don. Like, he's humiliated. He sounds like a real K. Kaiser. You don't even know K. Kaiser. (laughs) Like, once you experience K. Kaiser, then you can come back and make a comment. But I'm just telling you, also, in the Warner Archive sale, I saw there was, like, a K. Kaiser double feature for sale. And I was like, who would buy that in their right mind? But I'm sure someone did. That's the kind of thing I would like. I would buy you as a gag gift. I don't want it, and it has no, like no, a, I, I, I... <laughs> it has like a caricature <laughs> of him like on the cover. But no, thank you. He, I'm, I can't keep derailing us because I was going to make another joke. But can yeah. continue on. Yes. So you know, Don is humiliated because he is told like mid illusion. No, you will not perform that. And instead, like the illusion must be given to one of the magicians that essentially the company sells these tricks and things to. So Don is very angry. And I love Vincent Price. Like he always makes the best faces. So like he acts a lot with his eyes in this film. Um, So of course, you know, After this incident occurs, Don has no choice but to turn to murder and skin masks, which is why I feel this is the ultimate flick pick for our listener, because there are several scenes of stage magic. You learn the importance of presence on the stage and how to command an audience. But also Don Gallico's attire is superb. He is actually, he even deems himself a master of disguise. So like you witness him in various costume and outfit changes because you see when he kills 
when he actually like kills someone, he ends up like fulfilling their existence via a replicated skin mask <laughs> that he creates with his own hands. And I don't know about you, but I think that is like the ultimate illusion because he is like becoming someone else. And the way that he developed the, the masks is like they move with his face. So they look real. Like it's really strange and bizarre, but I love it. That sounds very uh, Mission Impossible. Yeah, they probably stole the idea from this movie. Like, I'm betting. I'm I'm putting it out there. Like, they stole this mask <laughs> idea. But yeah, you get to witness also like a lot of tricks and illusions and how they work. Like the buzzsaw. Then there's this other one, the crematorium, which is a favorite. They're just all extremely fascinating. Uh but some other like highlights of this film, which I think will help the listener get their mojo back, is you see a corpse being thrown onto a bonfire, which is disguised as a dummy. That's really fun. <laughs> there is a mystery novelist that is also part of this story plot. And essentially, like she is not only writing a novel based on what's happening in the movie, but she's also like solving the crime, which is really fun. And I really enjoy her husband's enthusiasm. Like he really doesn't do anything to help solve the mystery, but he supports her so much. And I love watching that. And he, like, there's this one line that he says, oh, it's rather cute how she dreams up these murders. <laughs> and I just think that's great. Rosalie, I am almost, almost positive that someday in the future, you invent time travel and you actually go back in time and make this movie. <laughs> yeah, it because... does honestly seem like something I would have made. I probably made it, you know, and like, I just That's don't what I'm saying. realize it yet. And I did actually watch a time travel movie recently um, somewhere from time i believe is the correct title um but christopher reeves it was actually on when we had liz Locke as a guest yes. on the show she had picked this movie when we did an episode about time travel i finally got around to watching it and i loved it because it's like all he did to time travel was hypnotize himself and i can't stop thinking about it i'm like that's all you need to do <laughs> He just makes himself believe that he's going back to the 1930s and boop, he's there. Yeah, I really, I like, I really like with everything that you've described this movie, it is so your personality and interests. Yes. Like it's, it's, it seems that the only possible way this movie could exist is that you had made it. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's the most Rosalie movie I think I could have ever heard of yeah i mean it's pretty it's pretty wild i mean there's magic murder mayhem it's got it all and in regards to watching it though i do have one little sad thing you do have to actually go out and purchase a physical copy now one cool thing is the physical copy is only like 12 to 15 bucks and it comes with three other movies so, you know, for that price, you get a total of four movies. It was put out by Mill Creek. I don't know if you've ever mm, okay. ordered from them. Yep. Uh, the quality is good. I mean, it's a pretty good transfer for that price. And the set comes with an Arch Obler flick called Five. And as you know, I'm a huge Arch Obler fan. And I think that's honestly how I stumbled upon this set to begin with because I wanted to watch the movie five. And then this movie was just on there and I was like, mad magician, Vincent Price. Oh yeah. Watching it, you know, but yeah. For, I, I mean, I, I don't think anyone could ever convince me that you Rosalie kicks are not the director of this film. <laughs> well, I'd love to take credit, but honestly, I didn't even look up the director. That's what I'm I saying, actually you can't because you can't look up yourself right. 
in the past. Well, it definitely <laughs> has a man's name, but at the same point, I had this whole idea when I was in film school about writing a movie about a director who like pretends to be a man, but like dressed as mm -hmm. Charlie Chaplin because then they could like get away with making a movie. And then like when they win an Oscar at the award, like on stage, they like take off the mustache and the hat and they're like, ha ha, I'm a lady. So Again, maybe that's that what great. I did. And like, yeah, I, I would not be surprised. I, I really would not be surprised. Um, that make, and it makes me that much more interested in watching this movie. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. And five is also pretty good. Um, I like Arch Obler. Like he does a lot of sci-fi stuff. And I think you were saying you watched something recently, the one with Claude Rains in it. That mm -hmm. I'm drawing a blank of that title. But yeah, he does. Arch Obler does a lot of interesting stuff. So Again, for 12 to 15 bucks, I think this set is well worth it because unfortunately, the Mad Magician is not available anywhere online that I could find. And if you want to find out more about Arch before you pick up the set, I did cover him and one of his films, Bewitched, on the Cinematic Crypt quite a while back, which is also a favorite of mine. But yeah, those are my picks. Yeah. Those are all great picks, and just as importantly, uh, the movie that we did not pick being either of the Now You See Me films, which... <laughs> terrible. I have, I have not seen them. I have no interest only in seen that. The so, I've only seen the first one. I was disappointed, one, because there's a twist that I feel like is it is in the movie for the sake of being a twist, not because it actually adds anything to the story. Uh, but what is most offensive is that they do stage magic, but it's a lot of CGI. No, thank you. No, yeah. Thank you. Um, like those, if that cast had gone to magic camp, practiced their sleight of hand, really done some tricks, uh, I probably would like it. And then the second one, I didn't even bother because... Uh, I think they just called it Now You See Me Too, I think yeah, is the title. That, that's when they should have called it Now You See Me Too, colon, Now You Don't. <laughs> Listen, I those films looked bad, and the people that were watching them were not friends of mine, and I have no interest. I just... And the CGI really turns me off because in The Mad Magician, like he is using an actual buzzsaw. There is fire. There is skin masks. Like, this is, like, really happening. And I don't right. like that and CGI I'm with, stuff. Yeah, I'm fine with in-camera illusions, for sure. But oh, CGI yeah. is just the laziest way out. So because I know you feel like my taste is suspect, I wanted to clear the air <laughs> and just make it clear <laughs> that I am not a fan of those films. Listen, you're learning. You know, you're getting better. In my opinion, but no, I didn't think that you liked those films. I, they just seem like lazy cinema. But I do like that you brought up about in-camera trickery because some of the, you know, the greatest, like one of my favorites, Buster Keaton, did a ton of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And people thought he was like performing magic. So I agree. That is cool. And CGI, you know, works best when you don't know it's there. But when you do know it's there, it's like, oh, it's horrendous. And I feel like in these Now You See Me, now you see me movies, you would notice it, that it's fake. You do, cause, because it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It just does not work. And I spent that, because I reviewed the first movie, and I spent the entire time getting angrier and angrier. And it was also one where, like... <laughs> The, the it was one of those like really crowded screenings that was like a little rowdy and i was like i don't i want no parts of this right now this is well <laughs> yeah and it has lex luther so. in it isn't lex uh, luther yes in it does it? have uh mark zuckerberg most famous for playing lex luther no thank you uh, it has th it has a good cast it suckered me in um because it's let's see it's him it's uh, Mark Ruffalo, it's Woody Harrelson, it's Isla Fisher, it's, it's Dave Franco, 
Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman. I mean, those two guys, they'll do anything for a paycheck. So they're not really uh, a selling point no. necessarily, but. I mean, we all make um, mistakes and maybe somebody had dirt on them or something, you know. Or just a lot of cash, you know. Yeah. Money speaks, you know, just ask Scrooge. He'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Before we sign off, don't forget you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com under MJ Pods, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print movie zine. And our first issue of 2021 is shipping now and celebrates and features the use of color in film. Don't let the gray days of winter get you down. Get lost in the brilliant hues of Movie John's winter issue, which is available in our shop at moviejohn.com shop. You can follow the show on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw It In A Movie. And if you're seeking advice, you can reach us there on Twitter or send us a question at Dear I Saw It In A Movie at gmail.com. And if you enjoy snail mail, aka postal mail, we definitely do, you can write to the show at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA. 19145 attention movie john and that's j-a-w-n and ryan where can people find you sure you can find uh, my writing in the pages of movie john as well as moviejohn.com you can find my other podcast that has recently returned with the new season of formula one uh, called f yeah f1 uh, which is also now part of the movie john podcast network uh, you can find that on moviejohn.com as well in addition to wherever you get your pods. Uh, and then if you want to follow me personally, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook at Silver whatever that's with a B. And you can find me on Instagram at the.oldsport or Twitter at bonjouroldsport. And you can also check out my other pods, Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past, and I recently started another podcast because I am insane. And I also want to hang out with my best friend forever, Katie McBrown. And we do a monthly show called Best Friends Forever. And each episode, we invite you to our slumber party and we gab about a movie that features our favorite heartthrob. And you can find, as Ryan said, all of these shows available on moviejohn.com under MJ Pods or wherever you snag your pods otherwise. So, Ryan, before we go, did you have a piece of advice for our listener? Sure. Uh, I don't have a specific quote to pull from Stardust, uh, but I will say a common recurring theme in the film uh, which I forgot to mention, is streaming on Netflix, so it's pretty easy to watch for a lot of people right now. Things are not often, things are often not what they appear to be. There's a lot of illusion and a lot of misdirection and a lot of secrets uh, in the world of Stardust. And I think it's just a good reminder to pay attention and maybe be just a little suspicious. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, and I might check out this movie especially because I do have access to Netflix. So maybe I'll check it out. But I just feel like if I'm going to watch it, I have to be rested because I feel like there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's like two hours, seven minutes, I think. Um, right. So it's it, it moves pretty briskly. It packs a lot into that time. Yeah, it, well, it seems so. So that's good. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's, you know, I hate when something's really lengthy and you're just like, oh, my God, get on with it, you know. But this sounds like, yeah, yeah with everything going on, you're not going to notice that it's two hours. Yeah, because it's one of those where, like, each sequence feels just long enough, like, pacing-wise. You know what I mean? Like, you spend enough time where mm -hmm. you're like, okay, like, I, I understand how this scene is functioning. But then, like, each sequence is just, like, moving faster and faster. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I did have a quote from my film, and it is compliments of Gallico in The Mad Magician. And he says, as you can see, my crematorium is more than an illusion. You haven't seen it work, have you? But you will.
you'll be in it, which I feel the only way to really experience magic is to do it yourself. So don't forget the importance of a wand, a magnificent cape, if you want to be taken seriously. I mean, it's very important, but also be careful of fire. (laughs) (laughs) Which you'll understand if you watch the movie, but... Anyways, I have a I have a healthy appreciate. I feel like I have a healthy appreciation and respect for fire. Yeah, I mean, I like playing with fire, but like I recently just got this crystal ball from my good friends Hunter and Allison, and I didn't realize that like you shouldn't leave it uncovered in front of a window, because yep, that will mm. cause a fire. <laughs> So I yeah. still have some things to learn about fire, but I'll get there or I'll just burn the house down. Um, but <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for listening. And remember, for every question, there is a movie with an answer. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.